0: This is a Triple J Podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is the Hack Podcast. How big's your Hex Step? Are you getting on top of it or it just keeps getting bigger? Even though you've finished studying, you thought this was the time that it'd be getting smaller and smaller, but it's not happening that way because of indexation. Well, some politicians are calling out Hex Indexation. The rising student debts in general, they're calling for serious change now. We're going to get into this with one of the senators who's leading this push. If you're struggling with Hex, you're going to want to listen to this one. It's definitely a story that people want to talk about. They do want to see some action on it. We're also finding out what is going on in Tasmanian politics, because the premier's just called this election a year early. We're going to tell you why that's happened. First, though, some pretty sad news for festival lovers. Hack.
1: in the Moo has cancelled.
2: On Triple J.
0: Yeah, if you love a festival, especially a regional festival, this one is gonna hurt. Groove in the Moo, one of our best-loved festivals in Australia, has pulled the pin this year just a couple of months before it was gonna kick off and just after tickets went on sale. Now, if you've already got a ticket, you might be pretty surprised. Or if you are planning to get one, maybe a bit closer to some of those dates. This news has shocked a lot of people. Another Australian festival pulls the plug. If you are in regional Australia, it's tricky. If you were going to South Australia, Newcastle, Canberra, Bendigo, Sunshine Coast, Bunbury, let's find out what is behind this decision. Al Newstead is Double J's music and pop culture reporter. He's been looking into it. G'day, Al. Thanks for jumping on, Hack.
3: G'day, Dave. Thanks for having me.
0: So Groovin' isn't going ahead this year. What do we know about this big announcement that's just dropped today?
3: Yeah, look, this was really quite the shock. I mean, Groovin' the Moo, it's a beloved regional touring festival. Um, it's been running for nearly two decades. It's coming up on its 20th anniversary. You know, it's um, for anyone that's attended in Bendigo, Bunbury, Maitland, Newcastle, like it's a really beloved point in the music calendar. And I think despite uh, not going ahead in 2020, 2021, owing to COVID, this is the first time that Groove in the Moo has cancelled its entire run in the whole history of the festival. So, real shock. Huge, huge. It is a massive surprise, I imagine. You
0: have been speaking with people in the industry, but also just people in the music industry generally. How have they taken it?
3: Yeah, look, uh, a few people I've spoken to were definitely taken by surprise with this as well. I mean, tickets literally only felt like they just went on sale. It feels like we just had the lineup, just were told tickets were on sale, just had the sideshows, and all of a sudden it's, it's not happening, it's not going ahead. So it's taken a lot of people by surprise for sure. You've been speaking to people in the festival kind of sector. What have they specifically had to say? But it's disappointing. It's disappointing to see festivals across the country struggling and it to reach an established brand by a groove in the moo, especially. Um uh, it's, it's probably no secret that festivals in Australia are facing a number of challenges at the moment. We're kind of in this awful perf- perfect storm at the moment. We've come out of COVID. Um, audience habits have changed from COVID, kind of still traumatised from events being cancelled, so not wanting to commit as early as buying tickets. We're in a cost of living crisis, as everybody knows. Um, that's also affecting touring costs, financial costs. And look, at the best of times, booking a festival is a bit of a risky business, but it's really make or break right now, the current climate. Well, let's have a little
0: bit of a listen to some of the comments made by Mitch Wilson from the Australian Festival Association.
3: We're seeing festival organisers struggle with increased costs from suppliers across the board, including transport costs, which would obviously impact regional areas. But on top of that, audience ticket buying behaviours have just dramatically shifted since uh, we've come out of COVID lockdowns. People aren't buying tickets like they used to. They're not selling out. Uh, a festival within hours or days of it going on sale.
0: So, Al, there have been a lot of, you know, regional festivals, festivals across the board, uh, cancelled, postponed in recent years. What are you... Think. What's your read on this about where festivals are at right now?
3: Uh look, to be frank, not in a good state. I mean, live music in general is not in a good state. I did a report earlier this year where we're seeing it's really feast or famine. A lot of the local grassroots music venues where bands originally cut their teeth, so your smaller cap venues, they're really struggling right now. So even though, you know, Taylor Swift's in the country selling blockbuster shows and, you know, thousands of dollars worth of tickets our grassroots scene is really suffering, and I think this festival situation reflects that. You know, there's a long list in the last six months. You know, as recent as Coastal Jam in Rosebud and Victoria cancelled, um, this, that festival cancelled for a second year in Newcastle and Queensland, Play on the Plains in Danilquin. You know, there's really a trend here of, you know, the regional areas suffering um, in, in places where they don't often get live music or get these big acts, and there's obvious factors for that. You know, we mentioned the cost of living, cost of touring, also the strength of the Aussie dollar, it's it's pretty bad at the moment. And so enticing big international acts to come out here is a real struggle. And a lot of festivals just can't seem to sell on the strength of a local lineup, a local only lineup. But again, it's feast or famine, you know? Um, Laneway went ahead, killed it this year. The untitled group has been having great wins with festivals like Beyond the Valley and Wildlands around New Year's. But then also you're seeing bigger bigger names like Falls took that year off, which was quite the surprise for a lot of people. Splendour didn't sell out for the first time in years um, last year as well. So, yeah, look, it's very shaky landscape at the moment and I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some more cancellations. Don't want it to happen, but could happen yeah i mean people pretty upset to see that happen but realistically
0: it does seem like that is where we could be heading do you think festivals are going to have to adapt to this new situation that they're going to have to change or do something different to uh, i don't know hit with younger audiences bigger audiences somehow
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of them already are trying to adapt. You've seen really big shifts from what festivals were capable of booking pre-COVID compared to post-COVID. I mean, remember, Billie Eilish played Groove in the Moon in 2019. And, you know, there hasn't been, they got very lucky, but there hasn't quite been a Billie Eilish level act since then. and. Yeah, that really goes back to what I was talking about. There's a whole number of factors that are really working against festivals. So I think they already are trying to adapt. I think we're still going to see those adapts, those changes happening and, yeah, trying to figure out what, what people want to go out and see and what they're going to commit their money to and get them to buy tickets early on because, really, as we've seen with Groove and the Move, if they're cancelling a week after tickets are on sales, then, yeah, they're going to need something to get people to commit and commit hard. So surprising to me
0: because, like you said a bit earlier, just the, the changing habits of people people. Back in the day, people would buy their festival tickets really early. As soon as they went on sale, it was sold out. People wanted to be amongst it. But now, cost of living, all that kind of stuff, COVID, people are still freaking out about things maybe being cancelled. They're buying their tickets later and later. So, it seems really hard for festivals to try and walk this uh, tightrope of whether it's going to be feasible or not. We do appreciate your update on this. Thank you very much, our Newstead, Music and Pop Culture Reporter. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me, Dave. i got a lot of messages on the text line coming through about these people who are upset they're not going to be able to go to Groovin, wherever they were planning to go across the country. Uh, we'll keep you across it.
1: Hack. I spent my entire year paying my Hex debt off, but that hasn't been applied to
4: my Hex debt. On Triple J.
0: Yeah, do you stress about your Hex debt? And when someone says, oh, it's the best debt you could have, or don't even worry about it. You can think about that later. How do you feel? What we're talking about when we say a hex debt is that system we have in Australia that means students can defer paying their fees until they start earning more than a certain amount. But that doesn't mean that people aren't worrying about those fees, that debt now, because we know student debts are a massive issue for young Australians, especially during this cost of living crisis. And indexation is still a thing. This fee that gets put on once a year in June that keeps the debt in line with inflation. The issue is inflation's been through the roof in recent years. And some of you have been telling us, I actually owe more now than I did when I finished studying some politicians are calling for changes, either for student debts to be frozen or changes to the way this indexation is applied. One of them is independent Senator David Pocock, and he's with us now. G'day, Senator. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hey, Dave. Just quickly, before we get into the hex and indexation stuff, Groove and the Moo, we've just been hearing about that, cancelled this year. You're from the ACT. Get around music. What's your reaction to that?
2: Yeah, that's that, that that's really disappointing. You know, for, for place for regional areas and, and for places like Canberra, we don't get a lot of gigs and it's 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 been a great festival for a long, long time. Yeah, I probably feel a bit guilty. I am one of those people who probably doesn't go straight out and, and, and buy tickets and, and buy them closer to the date. But uh, you know, I think it just it just shows that, you know, arts and entertainment has had such a tough time through COVID and I think there's still a lot of work to do in that area to ensure that we do have a thriving music industry. Yeah, I mean, definitely the effects of COVID are still being felt and we're going to be digging a
0: bit more into that uh, over the next little while on Hack. On to HEX, though, Senator Pocock, you've been out there this week calling for a change to the way indexation is applied for HEX
2: Help Debt. Can you explain what exactly you're calling for? Sure, there's, there's a few issues that I would love to see addressed with some small changes. As you said on the intro... We currently have a system where the government charges you indexation, or let's just just call it interest. They charge you interest on an amount that doesn't reflect what you've already paid off. So 1 June, if you pay anything off before the 1st of June in that year, they're indexing you on the full amount that you owed at the start of that year rather than on the amount that you currently owe, which would make sense to me. Secondly, with that, they continue to um, charge you interest at that amount until you do a tax return. So if you're a year late with your tax return, they're still going off the amount that you owed two years ago, even if you've paid a heap off uh, when you, you know, you're you in the workforce and you're, you're paying off. So that doesn't make sense to me. There's surely a way to not charge people interest on money that they've already paid off. And then- Secondly, it's the rate. You know, the the long term government bond rate at the moment is sitting around four point one percent, and Hex is at seven point one percent. So the government is making money by lending to Australians for their uh, for their education. I'd say we should just charge whatever is the lower is the lower rate. You know, if if um, CPR comes comes right down and it's below the government bond rate uh, for a while. then the government loses a bit uh, but I, I don't think there should be a situation where the government's making money off hex and charting students you know, and young people who are just getting into the workforce and and feeling it you know at the moment hex has topped seventy four billion dollars the average Uh, Hex debt is now $24,700, and we know that 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 is going up as degrees go up. I just want to ask,
0: and to be clear here, so you're asking for a change in the way the indexation is applied, like the timing. You're not calling for a freeze on indexing debt like someone like Independent Senator Jackie Lambie?
2: I mean, I'm open to this discussion. The the thing that makes sense to me, um, and is probably... I would hope, politically possible, is to, one, don't charge people interest on money that they've already paid back. Secondly, let's give them the lower rate. You know, I think the HECS system allows people to study and then to pay it back when they're in the workforce and they're earning over, you know, 50, 51 grand or or, uh, whatever the the figure is. Um, But we shouldn't be making money off that. We shouldn't be... shouldn't have a government that's, uh, you know, taking money at 4.1% and charging people 7.1%. I would say it should be the lower of the two.
0: Do you think we need to be having a conversation about putting a potential freeze on indexation just generally, uh, especially during this time when people are struggling with the cost of living?
2: Yeah, I think we should be having a, <laughs> a conversation about it. It's pretty hard when the major parties don't want to talk about meaningful tax return, uh, tax reform. You know, we have a, a revenue problem in Australia. We've become overly reliant on personal income tax, and the major parties don't want to actually get a return from all the gas that we ship off. You know, biggest gas export in the world, and we bring in an absolute fraction of what com- uh, countries like Qatar do. So if we did that, we'd be able to do all sorts of things when it comes to education, cost of living, um, you know, social and affordable housing... But at the moment, things are things are pretty tight in the budget as, as we keep hearing. we got a lot of messages coming through on this one. Someone says, my
0: debt is over $50,000. I haven't even started full-time work yet. It's so stressful to think I might not be able to pay it off. Still another year of study to come. Someone else, my HEX is $130,000. I'm a 25-year-old allied healthcare worker in the public healthcare system. I've done the maths and given my expected career progression, I'll still be paying off my debt into my late 80s is what some... Someone says there another person, Australia, the country where education is for the rich and the less well off get punished for wanting a uni degree, freeze the hex debts. That's someone's uh, opinion there. We do have a statement from the education minister, Jason Clare, Senator Pocock. He's told Hack, look help loans are indexed so taxpayers get their money back. He says, we lend $1 and the taxpayer gets the real value of that dollar back. If you remove indexation, then it's the taxpayer that cops the bill. What do you say to that?
2: Well, this is what I'm saying about what I think is politically possible right now that we can fix is to put it at 4.1, not 7.1%. That that makes a difference. The major parties don't seem to be open to these sorts of things where you're actually looking after... Um, young people, like you're looking at a hundred grand um, hex debt. That is that is so grim. Just getting into the the workforce. We've got to be doing more. And you know, so this is something I'll continue to to push as pa- and also as part of broader tax re- reform in a country where we basically don't get a return for much of the fossil fuels that we've been exporting yeah. for a long time now. Look, we're
0: getting so many more messages through on this one. Um, Senator Pocock, there's another story you've actually been uh, on today that you've been speaking out against today, and it involves toilet breaks at work, which might surprise some people and whether some Centrelink staff are being shamed for taking too long in the bathroom. This is a wild story. We're about to get into it to explain it, but just quickly, very full-on, right?
2: It really is. Um, you know, we've been asking, I've been asking Service Australia about this after going out and, and meeting people in the, the call centres. And I guess on the, you know, on, the, on the one hand, Australians are fed up with the wait time, which is something that they're working on. On the other hand, you've got people who are working incredibly hard, dealing with cranky people, and management have, have imposed a system on them where they literally get five minutes to go to the bathroom, regardless of, of you know, what time of month it is or what's what's going on. Well. And when they're back, they start sort of monitoring the minutes. And in some cases we've heard that they then put that up on a whiteboard and they've referred to it as time that they have stolen. Well let's from get Service into Australia. all of that
0: now because it is a big story and you have been speaking
2: a lot about it in
0: Parliament. Senator Pocock, thank you very much for talking about Hex. Uh, we appreciate you coming on to hack. Thank you for your time. Cheers, Dave. And here's Shalila Madora with a bit of an update on this story that kind of grabbed our attention earlier today.
1: It's that time of year when departments and agencies are grilled on how they use taxpayer money. It's called Senate Estimates. And this morning's discussion included a lot of toilet
2: talk. I guess I was pretty stunned to learn that Service Australia is timing toilet breaks
1: That's independent Senator David Pocock questioning Services Australia, the department that controls Centrelink.
2: For people working on the floor, in their mind, they have five minutes to get to the toilet, to get back to their desk, to put that AUX code back in. Otherwise, they are potentially facing disciplinary action.
1: This whole issue boils down to the system Services Australia uses for call centre staff to work out who can take calls, called an auxiliary code. CEO of Services Australia, David Hazelhurst, explains.
3: We do have auxiliary codes such that when people are not available to actually be answering calls, they need to signal that in the system so that the calls aren't referred to them. It's natural for us to then be tracking over time people's availability.
1: Staff at Services Australia are entitled to five minutes away from their desk every hour. But Jared Howard says people's toilet breaks aren't monitored, though he admits people can get in trouble for spending too much time away from their desks. There will be times where staff will be, you know, coached by their team leader around, you know, um, the fact that they might have been in an auxiliary code for longer than what is expected. We do monitor non-adherence to schedules because it is really important that we have people in the right place at the right
2: time to serve customers.
1: Senator Pocock said the repercussions for going even a few minutes over can be hectic.
2: And in some cases have been threatened with a code of conduct complaint for, and I'll quote, stealing agency time for doing things such as drinking water and going to the bathroom. The agency refers to this as time fraud.
1: Then there are the alarming reports of public naming and shaming.
2: Any minutes over that five minutes which you've stolen from the agency is in some cases being put up on a whiteboard.
1: Services Australia says that is unacceptable and the agency will investigate. But Jared Howard says hardly any staff have raised concerns over the timing system with him in all of the engagement that I have with staff um, it would be less than 0.1 of a percent that has raised this particular issue. I think the um, defence that not many people are formally raising it is a pretty weak one. Melissa Donnelly is the head of the Community and Public Sector Union, and she says Services Australia staff often bring up concerns about how tightly managed their time is. The
4: reality is if you're in a situation where your manager is speaking to you about how long you're
1: taking a personal break... It's a pretty embarrassing situation and you're unlikely to escalate it in a formal way. And she says the whole whiteboard thing could be in breach of workplace rules. The Fair Work Act provides a range of industrial rights that protect
4: employees when they're accessing their entitlements and conditions at work. Uh, So this kind of situation where people are facing being named on a whiteboard uh, for accessing toilet breaks, you know, is absolutely... Um, ridiculous and does not protect employees and their entitlements at work. It's really not a conversation that we should be talking about whatsoever. People's toileting times, um,
1: unless it becomes so egregious that there's someone in there for hours at a time. Kirsten Ferguson is an author and an expert in leadership. She says it's totally fair for a boss to discipline an employee if they aren't doing their job. But timing their toilet breaks isn't it.
4: You know, if we're paying people to undertake a role and they're not being counselled for poor performance and they're doing what
1: is expected of them, then I think we need to treat people as adults. She says policies like timing toilet breaks create a poor workplace culture.
4: Monitoring just by minutes and what people are doing within those minutes can only lead to micromanagement, which leads to distrust.
0: Hack on Triple J. Shalala Madora with that story. Bit of a strange one going on in Parliament at the moment. Someone on the text line says, I'm in manufacturing. We sometimes have people in the toilet for half an hour. Another person says there will always be people who take advantage of rules, but for the most part, people want to do a good job. It seems like the majority gets punished for these crazy rules in the workplace. A lot of opinions on this one might circle back to it later in the week sounds like a shake-up topic i don't know but hey something else that's been going on this week in politics Hack.
3: things need to change and if they don't it's just going to get worse
0: on triple jack an election is coming for tasmania And it's a year early, pretty much. Tasmania's got Australia's last Liberal government. You may have heard that. And there's quite a bit going on at the moment that's led to this election being called.
2: Hack! I'm not going to allow myself or my government to be held to ransom, so I've taken the decision to call an election.
4: We've got the worst bedlock in the country in our hospitals, worst ambulance response times, the worst education standards. The system is broken. The wheels on the policy cart have been wobbling
0: for a while. So the Premier has decided to jump out and run to an election before the wheels fall off
2: completely. On Triple J.
0: Yeah, lots of opinions with this one. Tasmanians pretty surprised by this, some of them. So what's the story behind it? Let's find out more about what's led up to this election being called. Hacks Tassie reporter April McLennan has been hitting the streets and finding out as much as she can. She's with us now. Hey, April, thanks very much for jumping on.
4: Hello Dave.
0: What the hell is happening in Tasmania at the moment?
4: Well Tassie's heading to an early election. So earlier today our Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe went to the Governor to ask for an early election and she said yep but it's actually happening more than a year earlier than planned and it's the second time in a row the Liberal government hasn't seen out a full term with this election happening 14 months earlier than originally planned. And The fact that it's early isn't the only interesting thing here, Dave. The state parliament's also increasing the amount of seats from 25 to 35. And that's restoring numbers to pre-1998 levels. Yeah,
0: I saw that. I'm wondering why they're adding more seats. They're making the parliament bigger. Why are they doing that?
4: Yeah, so in the past, the premier's come out and said democracy isn't functioning as it should. Because basically having less seats means more work for fewer people. So things were moving pretty slowly. And the decision also came after our former Premier and a former Minister both said big workloads and burnout was one of the reasons they quit. So it's hoped by adding more seats, it'll make things function a little bit better.
0: Okay, so that's why the Parliament's going to be expanded, get a bit bigger. But why are we going to this early election? Because it seems full on that this election's been called pretty much a year early. How did we get to this point?
4: So Jeremy Rockcliffe's Liberal Government was plunged into minority in May last year when two rogue MPs, that's Lara Alexander and John Tucker, quit the party, and they did that because they were pretty concerned about transparency around Hobart's proposed AFL stadium and the Mariners Link project and the Liberal Party reckons this caused instability and uncertainty in their government, hence why they've called this election, Dave.
0: Okay, the stadium thing I want to get onto, because people might remember we've spoken about this in the past, this whole huge footy situation that may have divided the community. What's going on there? It seems like this gift of footy has kind of broken the government in Tasmania.
4: Yeah, it's become a super contentious issue down here. So basically, the 750... Fifteen million million stadium is a requirement of Tassie getting its own AFL team licence, but the price tag and location have faced significant public criticism. It's pretty common down here to see bumper stickers on people's cars saying things like, yes, stadium, yes, AFL team, (laughs) or no stadium. Um, So I went for a little walk around Lonnie earlier today to ask some young people what they thought about the upcoming election. And Dave, the stadium came up a lot. I'm not much of a football follower, so I'm more like no stadium and I come from a perspective where there is things that we could probably put money in into kind of thing more than what we've got at the moment. Yeah, I don't think we need another stadium. Where do you reckon this money should be going? Um probably healthcare. I have a few friends that work within healthcare and it just seems like it's really lacking, so.
3: Like they think it might pull in enough money from like tourism and that, mm. but we don't really know, you know. I mean everyone in Australia wants it, let's be honest. Like every Tassie person, we need more teams than football. I love footy.
4: The money could have been put towards something better than afl stadium for sure what would you like to see the money go towards probably like helping like poverty we don't need a new stadium not down hobart you don't get many people
3: down there and who's gonna pay to travel all the way there and try and get accommodation when we've got a perfectly fine stadium here as it is
0: yeah some different opinions there on the streets in tasmania i'm speaking with hack reporter april mclennan about what's going on with This state election being called, everything's in a bit of turmoil at the moment. April's breaking it down. So, April, you were giving us a rundown of why this election's been called early... Some of the background and history. Who are some of the key players that we should be keeping an eye on over the next few weeks and months?
4: Well, there's obviously Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe from the Liberal Party. He's a farmer from Northwest Tassie and he was first elected to state parliament way back in 2002. And Dave, a fun fact about Rocky he helped to build Tassie's famous big spud. Oh, so what? It's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's basically this giant potato with arms and legs and it wears this little hat. Anyway, when <laughs> It when is Rock- a fun
0: fact. I'll give you that. It, April. it, it is, a is a fun, fun fact. fact, yep.
4: Um, So when Rockcliffe took over as Premier, he inherited a promise from the outgoing Premier to build an AFL stadium. But Rockcliffe's super keen for this to go ahead, and he says he'll happily go back to working on the spud farm if it doesn't work out. Then there's the opposition leader, Rebecca White. She's lost the last two polls, but she's hoping to end almost a decade of Liberal rule in Tassie. But... Beck isn't a fan of the AFL deal, and she says if she's elected, her party will seek to renegotiate the terms. Beck says while her party's committed to getting a Tassie team, she thinks the deal signed by the Premier isn't good enough.
0: I mean, this is a state election in Tasmania, but it will kind of impact politics nationally, right, April?
4: Yeah, so at the moment down here we've got the only Liberal government in the whole country. So traditionally the party in power on a federal level gets on pretty well with the premiers and chief ministers from the same party. So there might be a small impact depending on who wins this election. But really, Dave, premiers will always do what's in the best interest of their own states and territories. Yeah,
0: definitely. Seen that in the past, we know the state leaders will go up against the Prime Minister and the federal leaders, even if they are the same party. So it'll be interesting few months ahead, definitely. April McLennan, our Tassie reporter, thank you very much for bringing us up to speed. Thanks, Dave. Hack on Triple Jack. Yeah, lots of reaction to the stories on this podcast. Someone on the Hex story says, I don't even get a pay rise each year, let alone one that aligns with inflation. It puts myself and everyone else with Hex debt in a worse position every year. Another person, I finally started to feel like I could pay it off uh, with my salary. And then this indexation went up and it's all just come back. This is BS. And lots of messages too on Groove and the Moo being cancelled and festivals in general. Someone says it's so true about the lack of international acts, people won't buy tickets to see the same local lineup every festival. Another person says the cultural shift in music has been massive since COVID. People know that tickets aren't selling out, so they're putting off buying them until later. That's what we heard from Al a bit earlier. The, The buying habits have changed, not only because they know things aren't going to sell out, but because people maybe can't afford it as soon as tickets drop. And Claire in Melbourne says, I'm actually interested by the role of resale websites in this because I never bother buying original sale tickets anymore because I know I can almost get one much cheaper last minute. That is all we've got time for on this Hack podcast for now. I'm going to be back tomorrow. I'll catch you then. See ya. Hack.